The Next CMO Podcast explores topics that are on the minds of forward-thinking marketing executives, from leadership and strategy to emerging technologies. And we bring these topics to life by interviewing leading experts in their fields. The Next CMO is sponsored by Plana, makers of the world's first AI-based marketing leadership platform, and hosted by me, Peter Mahoney, the founder and CEO of Plana, along with my co-host, Kelsey Kraft. In this episode of the Next CMO podcast, I speak to Sean Doyle, the co-founder and director of strategy at Fitzmartin, an innovative agency from Homewood, Alabama, that helps mid-market companies with organizational and system design based on behavioral science. We talk about aligning marketing and sales, designing your marketing organization to deliver on results in a broad range of topics about applying behavioral science to solve organizational and process problems. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks so much for joining us on the Next CMO podcast, Sean. Would love to learn a little bit more about you, your background, and what Fitzmartin Incorporated does. Kelsey, Peter, thank you so much. It's been uh, a privilege to be here. Y'all have got just an amazing podcast. Y'all add so much value, your ideas, your thinking, and just great interviews. So thank you for, for doing this podcast. It's great. So my, my background, so... Wow, you know, I was born a Yankee in 19... Oh, you don't want that much background. It go, uh, go as far back as is appropriate, John. So <laughs> okay, not, I'll, a I'll little after birth, but that's yeah. fine. So I've been doing this marketing thing for probably 30 years. And that has seen a great journey from uh, creative development, creative design shop into what really excites us now. And that's working with executives of middle market, emerging middle market companies and helping them figure out these things, these rev op things, marketing operations stuff, organizational design. And one of my favorites is the application of behavioral science to the sales cycle, to the sales journey. And that is just great fun. We love working with executives. Usually we're working with a a CMO sometimes, a CEO sometimes, SVP of sales sometimes. And, you know, on the best of days, working with a CFO as well. So we are advisory services based. And some people we help with technology implementation. And then for a few clients, we'll actually still help uh, with execute a creative vision. But yeah, that's, that's a nickel tour. Well, that's great. Great background, Sean. And we were really excited about this conversation with you because of some of the great work that you've done. And, and in particular around this area of sales alignment and in organizational design and system design which is really on the top of minds of a lot of our listeners we know. So let's dive in a little bit into some of the organizational and system design stuff, because I I think that's really topical for people. So you obviously work with a lot of companies, you call them sort of emerging middle market and people probably going through a fair amount of growth. So when they engage you, when a client engages you and says, help me figure out how to design a marketing or marketing or sales alignment, what are the problems they're trying to solve when they come to you? Oh, gosh, you know, it's interesting. I'm, so I'm getting to be an old man. Kelsey, don't differ from me here. Or, or I guess this would be a good time. Argue, right? Argue. I'm not an old man. Yeah. I, think I, I didn't hear her arguing, by the way. <laughs> 
Over the years, I think I would say 95% of all problems are communications based, right? So it doesn't matter what the business is, doesn't matter what level and, you know, the integration and having a system, uh, really what it supports is um, communication, good, you know, having clarity, having clear objectives. And I think that I was told something once and and it kind of hurt at the time because I'd taken some impassioned position and and one of my advisors said, you know, Sean, there's more than one way to do things right often. So I would say most of sales and marketing alignment comes around having chosen one position. Now we, we base our position when we teach, when we help, we don't want opinions. Yeah, we don't want, I like, in fact, I refuse to allow the phrase, I like something to be said in my office because I don't really care what you like, right? I, I need to know a foundation. And I think most business owners are frustrated with marketers who live in, I like, and an opinion. I want science. So we have based all of our thinking around the trans-theoretical model of behavioral change. And it is a model of how anybody changes in any type of behavior from unaware, but really pre-contemplating is the right behavioral science term. I use the word unaware because that's what most of us think about in marketing. But even more than unaware, you could have perfect brand awareness. Everybody in America was aware of the Edsel. It didn't change anything, right? Awareness doesn't solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. So many emerging middle market companies are moving from this model of let's create awareness and see how sales happen to understanding there needs to be more depth. So we go from pre-contemplating through to an exchange relationship. The behavioral science calls a cessation of behavior, right? So if you're trying to quit smoking, for example, anybody who smokes today, there's, there's no way they're unaware of the dangers of it, right? You're choosing. You're just having pre- you just haven't contemplated the change all the way through to quitting smoking and then even telling other people about how great it's been to quit smoking. Why do I do that? That's a weird thing to talk about in today's day, right? Smoking. Well, the reason is the science was studied based on smoking because what worked for Kelsey to quit didn't help Peter. What helped Peter quit didn't help Kelsey, didn't help me. So what the scientist broke through and said, let's look at the trans-theoretical, right? Okay, I'm going to get a little wonky here. Give me a ring. So this trans-theoretical model, like we looked at all the behavioral sciences, Prochotka, Norcross, and Di Clemente were the scientists, and they identified the aha moment. There's nine different processes that help people move through these stages. So in business, let's put this in business terms. We've got a consumer decision journey. Probably not a single one of your listeners who doesn't know what a CDJ is, right? Consumer decision journey, idea popularized by McKinsey. And they did a great job. But what was missing for me as a marketer, as an advisor, was understanding why what worked to move people through the CDJ at different stages, but didn't work later. Easiest example is, let's create awareness. Let's raise consciousness of a product or a service. Let's say we're talking about a company that needs marketing, uh, planning, and budgeting software, for example. Like They might know that that exists, but they don't know how it matters to them. Well, pre-contemplating is that doesn't know how it matters. You can create all the awareness you want for Plana, but you can't, if, you, if I don't understand how it matters to me, it doesn't, it's not relevant, right? So there's different techniques. There's 
helping relationships, there's public commitments, private commitments, there's countering, there's environmental controls. There's all these processes that the behavioral science show work later. So to alignment, there's aspects of marketing that lean heavily on some of these science processes. And there's aspects of sales that lean on some processes and they're later staged typically. So the way we take anybody, the journey we take anybody on is understand a consumer decision journey and let's identify words and language we're going to use for each step. Then let's look at these processes and codify everything marketing is doing and codify everything that sales is doing and map it out. We call this a sales barrier analysis. And by doing this map, we identify gaps and barriers in the process that are getting in the way of your customers. So we want to make sure that we can help, that marketing and sales is equipped. So in marketing and sales, right? The and is the critical thing. And then there's this common language. There's six stages. There's nine processes. So if we can get people to talk through this, when we do a, say, a retreat, where we've got the marketing team and a sales team, and we're working together with the executive team as well in a retreat, we literally physically walk people through. We say, Kelsey, you're going to be the sales person. Peter, you're going to be the marketing guy. And I'll usually get the CEO and say, you're going to be a customer. And we walk through a deal physically. We map this out in the room and people can see and they use this language. And all of a sudden, marketing and sales alignment works because who did I put in the middle? Marketing's over here. Sales is over here. Who's in the middle? The customer. customer. Yeah. Right. So if you align around the customer, inherently sales and marketing end up aligned. So many people try to figure out how to get sales and marketing to work together. Forget it. Forget that. Just get sales to align to customer, marketing to align to the customer, and guess who ends up aligned? Marketing and sales. It's, it's, so you just got to have an opinion. You have to take a position. If you don't want to use the trans-theoretical model of behavioral change, that's fine. But I think it's incredible. I've used it for 20 years. We see $243 ROI for every dollar clients invest in us. And that's, that's also science, right? That's math. That's not my opinion. Uh, it works. The science works. Okay, y'all asked me my favorite question. So I got excited and I went too long. <laughs> no, no problem. So if I, if I try to tease out a couple of the core points there that you were making, Sean, I think the the issue around alignment between sales and marketing as it relates to the way that the teams are organized tends to be around maybe a lack of understanding of or empathy for the customer and maybe a different kind of approach or alignment between sales and marketing when it comes to the customer. So one of the, one of the things I find causes that problem, I'd love to hear your view on this, is that marketing is often organized in expertise and responsibility. So mm-hmm. expertise so as an example, some someone is a really great events manager. Someone is a really great content writer. But that doesn't always solve the problem because there isn't an alignment around accountability of result. And the result could be around customer success or business success or something else. So how do you see how do you see marketing organizations changing over time when it comes to relating to results versus expertise? 
Oh, yeah. That's a great question. You really should have given me an easier one, Peter. Come on. I think the answer there is a journey from craft thinking to strategic thinking. It's a journey from the doers of stuff. I think too many marketing departments are just the doers of stuff. You know, like when you you mentioned the event, we worked with a $300 million software company uh, that has locations in 19 countries last year, maybe the year before. And their their marketing team did the annual users conference and did a little bit of PR. That was it. And then sales bludgeoned their way to, to sales, right? They just had to go out and pound it, right? Just, just go crazy. And they had some technology support to that. But marketing shifted under the tutelage of their last CMO into a company that into a department that started with its relationship with the SVP of sales, right? And it started around strategy and then it moved into measurement. So I don't have to preach measurement to y'all. But, you know, if you, if you are strategic, if you're at least having a dialogue, like if there's not a standard, here's an easy test for every listener. Is there a standing meeting between your SVP of sales and your CMO? Assuming you have those two roles. And if not, why? I think I can probably guess for those of you who say no, I think the answer probably is your SVP of sales doesn't take your CMO or your marketing operations person seriously. So you've got to ask, does your your marketing person get it? Do they want it? And are they capable? You know, we, I, I see constantly, I just see constantly people go out and hire a marketing person because of the idea of blue sky and art and craft. And then they get frustrated that they can't sit at the executive table and have a real conversation with the CFO. Or they can't look to the SVP of sales and say, you know, we're, we're spread too thin. Here's core markets. Here's projections of where there's going to be EBITDA growth. And if you can't sit down and have that kind of conversation, in fact, that's, that's what I see as the victory. I, one of, I serve as a fractional CMO, one of my favorite long-term clients. And the SVP of sales there invited me to work on a quarterly plan to launch a new line of business. And the SVP of sales came to me to ask to do that. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this guy gets it. He's, I've, I've won his heart, maybe. I don't know if I want his heart, but yeah, maybe I want his head, right? That's enough. You know, <laughs> he, he allowed me to do that kind of thinking. And you know, we, we were explored 120 different areas and we uh, looked into and narrowed it down and identified EBITDA growth. And we looked at what could happen. Where were we equipped? Where would we, where could we find channel sales? Where do we not have to stand up a new organization? Like that's marketing talk, man. You know, that's, that's good stuff. Now we can create alignment you know, um, out of that. So did, did I tell you how to build a watch? Yes. The first question I threw a bucket of water on you and you graciously tried to say, okay, there's hydrogen, there's oxygen. Uh, thank you for that. And then I think I just did it again. We, you were complete with your answer. Let me put it that way. Uh, and th- th- this concept of this concept of focusing marketing on Things that are relevant to sales is, is, of course, very important. And I think most marketers these days at least intellectually understand the importance of, of that kind of alignment. There, there's an interesting line, though, and that is the, the idea of marketing should be 
in service to sales, but not especially subservient to sales. Agreed. And uh, and th- that that line is really important to understand. And, and one of the most important factors tends to be time horizon, because the the Absolutely. sales time horizon tends to be this month or this quarter. Very importantly, because they're the fuel and engine for growth for the business. And marketing needs to think a little bit longer term. Strategic salespeople do too, obviously. So how do you see that? How do you see that relationship between marketing and sales? How do they keep that a healthy relationship where marketing is really focused on fueling sales growth, but not especially subservient to sales? Yeah, that's uh, brilliant. So we're going to need to schedule a follow-up conversation about <laughs> the failures of the chief revenue officer, because that's really what you're talking about. That that phrase got so hot, right? About two years ago, maybe three years ago. And we got to have this integrated system. The way we're going to do that is have one hit. Well, when you have one hit, revenue, the CFO, the CEO is always going to give more power to the sales function than marketing. Just out of the needs for cash, right? You've got to have that cash. So I believe the failure of the chief revenue officer concept is that what you end up doing is subjugating marketing to sales, as you just said. And from there, marketing becomes weak and you actually retreat. You go back to when you were in a $5 million company and you were trying to figure out this marketing thing or a $10 million company and you were trying to build a, a real department. So the marketing function has to have that view. We are just as human beings, kind of lean back into science a little bit, as, as human beings, we, we respond to nothing more greatly maybe than pain. There's some interesting science out of UCAL Berkeley that talks about all of us have financial pain, strategic pain, and personal pain. And if you can lean into those three types of pain as you're selling, as you're marketing, that you're going to have the most empathetic response. You're going to have the most understanding come out of it. It's a great test of your own marketing. Look at it. You see answers and articulations of your customer's strategic financial and personal pains. Do you see answers, promises that your organization is making to solve those? And do you see proofs? That's another failure of marketing often is the proofs. And I actually, short aside, as if there's a short aside with me, is I just had a salesperson come to me and say, you know, we need more numbers. We need more numbers in our two market proposition. And we ended up uncovering an amazing amount of energy savings, an amazing amount of carbon, tons of carbon dioxide, the reduction, I mean, really articulate proofs of our, of our organization, of our client's positioning. And those are, you know, we need numbers, right? In numbers, there are truth is actually the exact headline of the email he sent me. Are we doing that? Well, so in this battle between sales and marketing, the financial pain always wins for sales because also your comp design is built around what? Revenue, short-term revenue. So if your comp design, and well, then now you've just moved into my personal pain, right? If I, if I do anything that puts off cash or doesn't realize cash for three or four years, it might be the best thing we could do but it it doesn't help me get paid. So comp design enters into this uh, pretty effectively. I'm not an expert on comp design, but I've seen it time after time drive immediate behavior. So that's another goal of of having those two roles separate 
an equal and at the table, right? So you don't, I've never sat at an executive team where accounting was not on a par with manufacturing or software development heads or, you know, all those CTOs or whatever. I mean, this, the executive team, the whole goal of that, right, is a sort of a benevolent dictatorship, right? Um, where the owners represent the dictator or the CEO of a privately held company. And you have to have equal. This, a good CEO wants equality in, in those two roles. You, you have to get it. Otherwise, you get a misbalanced equation, and misbalanced thought. So uh, they should work together. Speaking of misbalanced, what and the importance of sales and marketing alignment being both at the same table, what are some, you know, symptoms, those early on symptoms that people can catch of that misalignment starting to happen? Hmm. Really good question. You guys don't ask easy questions. Your <laughs> listeners must love you. I will respect is uh, just the easiest one. Um you know, if you're not, if you're not getting respect, and I've never seen respect happen fast. I've never seen respect happen because the CEO demanded it. You know, if I'm if I'm talking to a, a marketer, I think the fastest way to get respect is to get get in the guy's Ford Taurus or the, the woman's Ford Taurus and go ride, go ride the route, man. You know, go learn what it's like to sell. I can't tell you how many times I've come back from riding with sales. And sat down in front of the implementation team and or the rev ops team and said, y'all, as marketers, we thought we were crushing sales. They don't even use our stuff because of this and that and the other. And there's such, you know, we, I sat in the sales meeting and there was a value prop that I'd never even heard. Like you've got it. So there's no communication going on. You And it's going to be marketing's job to step forward. Sales isn't going to do it. It's going to be marketing's job to step forward and dive into that other area and give them the respect first. And then that relationship and from that respect, they might start listening to you. And then that's where I come back to the science. Kelsey, you've got to have a position that's built on something more than your opinions as a marketer. If you're going to elevate marketing in the role, you've got to have science. You can't say, I like I like is meaningless. I like is just personal stuff, right? Have um, to be scientists, not promoters, right, Peter? We actually have that uh, written in the next demo book. That's I right. love that. I need to get that book. Where will I get that book? Well, <laughs> you, one <laughs> that, was a, that was a plug. That was a plug. Exactly. Yeah, I know. We're Kelsey brings that up. It's a it's an important point that we like to make all the time. That marketing, I think, can fall into this trap of positioning and spinning. And it's most important to really understand, like you said, it's sort of like your comment about, I like this. The The, the important thing to understand is really what happened, what the results are, and, and actually clearly articulate what really happened and look at the data. Because just because you like something, you have to understand what works and what doesn't work. And, and, and I think marketing people sometimes go back to that marketing training and try to make something look as positive as it is when what's most important is to really understand what happened so you can make decisions based on those uh, data points. So to that end, I'm going to give you one of my best secrets um, and, a, and a personal secret too, right? So my personal secret is I, I, I thrive on respect. I want people to respect me. I want people to like me. And that's a terrible thing for somebody who's in a counseling advisory role, right? 
Um, so I have to battle that constantly. Well, one way I battle it and one way I can win this earning respect and one way every marketer can do it or one way a CEO can inflict on marketing is to do a voice of the customer program. Research and insights is vital. And I think research and insights, as much as I want to see chief revenue operate, you know, chief revenue um, officers go away, I think the, the rise of the research and insights people should happen. And what a great way. It does a couple things. One, it forces reevaluation. Your, your executive team is going to go, research and insights is marketing? Well, I thought marketing was getting the trade show pull off. No, marketing is understanding the customer. So here's the deal. I offer a simple research and insights program. And I, I think last time I checked, it was like $9,000, something under $10,000. It's a diagnostic. It's a mid stage um, diagnostic. And for $9,000, we're going to talk to three current customers, three lost customers, and three prospects. And every CEO I think I've ever met or every market, I'll lean back. I've been doing this for 30 years. I know my customer. Peter, Kelsey, y'all are going to tell me you know your customer. Mm -hmm. But why do we all go to, to a counselor when we have a problem? Let's say marriage counseling, relationship counseling. Why do we go to a counselor? It's not that the counselor is brilliant. The counselor is a third party that we can both talk to. Well, that's what we're doing in research and insights work. So I'll make the deal to the executive and say, I'll give you your $9,000 back. In fact, I won't even cash the check. I'll bring it to the meeting when we share our insights. And if you get no value out of it, I'll hand you the check back. Now, are you willing to try this? It's not much money. And if, if you can't find insights, and the, the, next, the next barrier is people say, well, our lost customers aren't going to call. I'm like, Oh, heck yeah, they can't wait to talk about you. That's <laughs> they're, they're, they're excited about it. Your current customers will do it just because you're a current customer. What about your prospects? Well, you have to be thoughtful about how to reach out to them. Um, but they're interested in driving solutions to their problems. So that's how we approach that. Hey, you know you're in this space and you've got this problem. So we just want to spend 30 minutes. We've been hired by this organization to get your insights about what would be a great product or service for your industry and your problems. And then we get into the dialogues and it's an amazing thing. So why is all that so important? Well, one, it's not me. It's not me saying I like. Another form of I like is me being a mandator and just saying, oh, I'm a marketing expert and that's how you should do it. And this, this gives me the ability to come to the executive team in a way that's respectful and say, here's what the team is saying. Here's what your customers are saying. Here's what your lost customers are saying. And you can not like me as a marketer or not think much of my craft, but you got to respect your customers. You got to respect your prospects. And I've never, since we've been doing that, probably been 20 years of doing that, I've never had to give a $9,000 check back. And every time it just changes the point of view because it's not my opinion. It's a third party. It's like science. It's, it's not my opinion. It's science. It's not my opinion. It's measurements, math. You know, it just changes everything. So as much as I want people to trust and like me, it's got to be the measurement, it's got to be the science, it's got to be the math, it's got to be the customer. So that's how I create alignment. Go all the way back to that first question, Peter, and get outside of yourself and, and bring in third parties. I'm not saying hire me. I'm saying bring in data, bring in math, bring in customers, um, you know, bring, bring in science. It makes a lot of sense. And, and I agree that getting a, a third party unbiased 
or differently biased sometimes focus is is really helpful when it comes to bringing in that kind of data and definitely customers will will tell someone who's a third party something different and more than they'll tell you cuz people often don't like to give people negative feedback that they'll right. always tell you the positive happy stuff to your face and then they'll gripe about you in the back room and the the stuff that's negative is actually some of the most important stuff to understand because those are the things that often are pretty fixable but if you don't know that they're there it's yep. pretty difficult to fix them you don't realize right, so that, i get to ask you all a question yeah you did not go into this conversation today contemplating doing voice to customer research did i take you from pre-contemplating to contemplating are you like god when was the last time we did that no, we actually are literally in the middle of a voice of the customer <sighs> study right now, which is which is super helpful. So it's because y'all are experts. Okay, I thought I was going to catch you on that one. That's too bad. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it. I think it's fortuitous in timing on our part because it's really the first kind of customer research study that we've done, and it it happens to be aligned with the timing that we're recording this conversation. So yeah, so far there. The, the early resi- results are fantastic. I'm, I'm really pleased and definitely come back with some constructive criticism, but, but overall, lots of delight, which I'm, I'm really happy with. That's, you, that's important you, to know. You do not want an obsequious research and insights person there. You got you to hear some bad news in there. It's got to be some. Absolutely. There are always things that we can improve and that, that's what we're, mm-hmm. uh, we're focused on. So let's, let's talk about the, let's talk about, we talked about some of the, issues of alignment, some of between sales and marketing, some of the, you know, some of the symptoms that you might look at to identify if there's a problem. So paint a picture for us of good alignment. What does that look like? And what are the benefits that an organization would derive from creating better alignment between marketing and sales? Yeah, great question. And I did just think of another practical answer on organizational design. So remind me if you if you if you have an extra another tip. But so the benefits, I'm going to start with uh, lowering your customer acquisition costs. I mean, what what executive team is not interested in that? So what what's the difference of going to an executive team and saying we'd like to launch an initiative to lower our customer acquisition costs versus saying I'd like to start a new marketing program? Well. Executive team's interested in one of those, right? The, uh, the the guy who runs the plant floor doesn't come in and say, hey, I want to get this new piece of equipment because it's really cool, right? <laughs> the, the, the person who runs the plant floor comes in and says, hey, we can lower our uh, cost of goods sold by two cents a unit. And now everybody's going, huh, at a million units a year? Okay, well, let's, let's talk a little bit. And then you get into a great conversation. So I think the greatest benefit is more effective selling. So right now, if your sales, this goes, Kelsey, back to your symptoms question. If sales doesn't align with marketing or worse, doesn't trust marketing, then they're doing the early stage work. Sales is getting back in the stage one, stage two, pre-contemplating, contemplating. They're building their own lists. They're they're, they might even have their own Excel spreadsheet. You know, they're doing their own management of their own people and they're treating that like an asset. So to business owners, I would tell you if you're paying for salespeople and there's not a CRM involved and your sales team is not putting that data into the CRM, then you're paying your salespeople to build their own asset. And that's your asset. 
because they're getting salary. They, they should have a base that covers the time to build that asset. It's that if you're not thinking about your systems as an asset, then, then you're leaving money on the table. And, you're, and worse, and to use the old guy vernacular, when the salesperson leaves, the Rolodex leaves with them. And why in the world you wouldn't let any other department in your organization do that? So don't let them build an asset and take it. Let them build the asset for you. That's why that's what the money's for. So that it mark sales will step into the early stage roles that marketing can do at scale with much greater efficiency. Vice versa, marketing will not know what to do. Most of the time I see marketing not knowing how to support late stage sales. If marketing can't, if I was interviewing a chief marketing officer, I think a great first question would be, talk to me about how marketing should support late stage sales and support customer success. If a, a good marketer should be able to answer those questions, if they can't with articulate, rational thinking, answer those two questions, and you've got a probably somebody who's Typical and trained for early stage stuff, creating awareness. And that's fine. There's a need for awareness. But I mean, I live in B2B, right? So this, this full cycle is much more important to me. Lifetime value is much more important to me than selling a Coke or a shirt on the way home or whatever a consumer. I don't, I can't speak to what consumers do. Um, consumer marketing does very well. So marketing should know what to do so another symptom of a misalignment and not understanding is marketing not knowing how to do late stage well what happens if marketing doesn't know how to support late stage sales who doesn't respect them sales sales yeah. <laughs> right yeah in fact what sales do i got this don't I, you know hey thanks for offering to build my deck or thanks for putting this together I, I'll take care of it. I don't need you at the event. I don't need, you know, got it. So, I mean, this, you get that stiff arm. How many marketers and, and, or how many times have we gotten close to our biggest deal and marketing wanted to help or said something about helping and we just said, I got it, man. I want the control. It's me. I'm the salesperson and I'm going to close the deal. Stay out of the way. Well, that's, a, again, uh, owners, that's a ineffective use of yourself. Marketing should know what to do. I would tell you marketing should equip sales not to be super involved in the physical real time because they should be building the scalability of your operation down the road. Again, Peter, that's to your point, right? Marketing should have a long view. We should be building business that's going to close in two years. Sales should be closing this quarter. You know, what's planned? We got to hit plan. Let's, that's, that's immediate news. But marketing has got to equip sales to do that. So the benefits are marketing can lower your customer acquisition cost by taking care of all the early stage stuff in a way that sales respects and will appreciate. Anybody who's ever launched a marketing automation initiative has said this following sentence. I tried marketing automation. I got a bunch of leads and the quality was fill in your expletive. You know, low quality is a real problem. That probably comes out of a misunderstanding of scale, a misunderstanding of volume. Maybe marketing is doing a bad job. Most likely what sales is looking at when they say it's bad quality, what they're really saying is not really ready to close. Okay. I mean, people, behavioral science, the behavioral science says that you can sit for two years in a contemplating, pre-contemplating preparation stage. Two years. 
and you can cycle through it, right? You can come through and close and, and download a book and then come back a year later and you, know, you can cycle through that. Well, sales interprets that as a bad quality lead. And it's not, it's just a nurturing lead. It's somebody who's not ready to buy yet. The consumer still has the power, right? So you've got to give them the room to, to cycle and loop. So it comes down to education and sales and marketing, communicating and alignment again, communication. And then setting, we just did this with one of our clients where we finally sat down, they were complaining about lead quality. We finally said, let's sit down with sales and say, what sales, what do you call an engaged prospect? What are the triggers? What do you see as valuable? So we adjusted, we threw away our metrics and we used sales metrics for what the word engaged meant. This was an account-based marketing program we were running. We were seeing engagement, getting excited, throwing them over the wall, and they were not ready, and they didn't like what we were seeing. So we've changed the, the metric, and it's a measurable metric, and now it's working. So, gosh, the other answer I would say is marketing technologies. We have a revenue operations team, and RevOps Rev is amazing. And I think the role of RevOps is to deliver visibility across the entire team, marketing and sales, and to improve, improve efficiencies around the process of driving revenue and even improving predictability of revenue. So you can do things like market and budget for the next year. How, how do you understand what an appropriate MCAC or marketing customer acquisition costs? Well, you gotta have some data, you gotta have visibility. So we take the 13, 14,000 MarTech that are out there now, and we boil it down into uh, three areas of demand gen, sales enablement, and customer success. By looking at that as a foundation in those three categories, then we're able to cover most of the needs and then of what marketing should do with great visibility. And then as a company grows and matures, then we do want to add into that, that, that budgeting measurement dashboard kind of thinking, which y'all are obviously very familiar. So how do, why is this thinking important? Well, let's go back to the behavioral science for one last comment. 80% of your customers are going to look at options while they're your customer, right? 80% of them. Most of us go, oh, that's not, that's not true. So the behavioral science showed that 80% of the people who quit smoking were looking back at smoking and going, oh, do you remember the good old days? So if you want a biblical point of view, you know, Israel got out of Egypt and they all went, oh, remember we had housing and fish back there. Yeah, you were slaves. You know, your customer, whatever your business is, you know, you're looking at a 80% rate current customers looking at, well, guess what? There's a late stage, we, love, we call it interruption marketing. So right before someone signs a deal, right before you, Peter, Kelsey, change your behavior, what do you do? You check, right? You do a last check. Did I make a mistake? Do I, do, um, before I make a public commitment to buying this software, to buying this, this capital expenditure, buying, I'm going to ask some friends. I'm going to look online. I'm going to go to G2 if it's software. I'm going to go to whatever. You know, I'm going to look and get other people's opinions. That's the power of this distributed thing, the internet, right? So I can get all kinds of opinions. So 80% of those people are going to retreat when sales thinks that it's just all green lights and blue skies. So you've got to remember those things and work together on those things. That's a great way actually that marketing can earn some respect from sales is, is discussing that retreat, that close rate. In fact, we call it selling backwards. When we come in and do an engagement, if we're going to help you roll out a, a new revised marketing plan, 
90% of all the marketers I've ever met create awareness and try to push people through the funnel. We're going to say, no, let's start with the late stage lists and then let's grow it back to the contemplators, then the awareness folks. We're going to sell backwards. And all of that is joint, right? We're creating that alignment. Great. I, I've got to learn how to make shorter answers yeah. or well, longer podcasts. Well, in, in, in speaking of that, we're, we're, uh, we're at the end of our time here. And uh, I, I wanted to thank you for, uh, for great insights that you shared with us, Sean. And, and just before we wrap up, I wanted you to uh, let our listeners know how they might find out more information about Fitzmartin. Certainly. Well, uh, Fitzmartin.com is the website, F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. And uh, if you're interested in some of the concepts that I was sharing today, there's a uh, Fitzmartin.com slash free help. And in fact, I also want to thank Peter and Kelsey. They uh, purchased you listeners some copies of Shift. Shift is a book that might be a little under your, your group of listeners, Kelsey and Peter. It's written for executives who are uh, in charge of marketing, but they were never trained for the task. I just faced that so much that we wrote that, that book published by Rock Bench out of Nashville. So it, it's free. I'm not baiting you with a lead gen technique. We'll send you the book. And I uh, hope so. Yeah, come learn and let's see what you can find. In that free help section, there's some, some of the frameworks. This cognitive marketing framework is there. And then you can get, get booked for free too. So what better than that? That's great. Thanks very much, Sean. Thank you. You guys are great. You asked the toughest questions. I've done jillions of these podcasts. These are the toughest, hardest questions. And I appreciate it. That's what we try to do. So I think, well, I think we've, let's do a second take. I want another try at this. <laughs> there, there are no mulligans in podcasts. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> So given that, Kelsey, I think we're, uh, we need to wrap up and uh, you can help take us home. Thanks so much for your time today, Sean. Make sure to follow the next CMO and Plana on Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you have any ideas for topics or guests, you can email us at the next CMO at Plana.com. Have a great day. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Thank you all.